Welcome to the 97th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week 12 of the college football season, and recapping week 11 of the NFL season. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in the NBA, where Patrick went 2-2. Two and two. In college football, Patrick went a perfect 4-0. He followed that up with NFL predictions of 3-1 and one this week, and was also perfect in college basketball, going 4-0 with those predictions, making Patrick 13-3 overall this week, bringing him to 243 and 178 overall, a 57.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts? And your very successful predictions this weekend. Well, some people may think that I would talk about my predictions endlessly when I have this good of a week, but the problem is I have nothing to talk. I have no, I have no excuses to make for my losses because I only had three of them. Uh, I think what the NFL prediction that I got wrong was, I believe. Actually, I don't even know what I got wrong in the NFL. <laughs> I'm gonna be quite honest. Um, in the NBA. Uh, I did not know, I was not armed with the knowledge that Nikola Jokic would just randomly sit out a game against the Chicago Bulls, and obviously, uh, in that close of a matchup, I would have obviously picked the Bulls without him. Uh, funny enough, I said that I would pick the Celtics if LeBron, I would pick the Lakers if LeBron played against the Celtics, and pick the Celtics if he didn't. He did play, but I still picked the Celtics, and the Celtics did win, so... I guess I was technically somehow wrong on that. Not really, but I guess it's right in the end. Um, and then the last game, I mean, the Heat had a five-point lead in the th- in the fourth quarter with three minutes left, and they just weren't able to, to secure that against the Wizards. So that was really surprising there um, that they lost that game. But overall, I mean, in the NCAA, picked two unranked teams to beat top 10 teams. Both of them won, which is something that is pretty rare. I stayed away from Baylor-Kansas State because I felt like it was going to be a week with a bunch of upsets, so... I didn't want to go for the upset picks, and then all of a sudden, I, the upsets that I did pick were right. But I was really unsure about Baylor. I thought they were, I thought they were going to win. I probably would have picked them. Uh, Alabama was strangely the closest game of my predictions, and they were probably, I think they were favored by the most out of any of the teams. Clemson's game was not as close as Alabama's. I mean, it was pretty close, but um, Utah's game was a blowout, and Ohio State's win over Michigan State was also a blowout. But Alabama really kept that game close, and we'll talk about that later. And yeah, the one game I got wrong in the NFL was the Bills coming out and really just not playing well at all and letting Jonathan Taylor run crazy. So overall, definitely a great week. And uh, I still, th- I, I've only lost one game in college basketball so far this season, even though every, seemingly every single game has been an upset. Uh, but I guess when you pick the close games, you can't pick any upsets. So yeah. Well, yeah, great start to college basketball, which is hard to predict, particularly at this time of the year. So, well, strange enough, my record last year was thirty and eleven in college basketball, even though it was two games above five hundred in the NBA, and for a whole season was two games above five hundred in the MLB. So, somehow I have some college basketball know-how. I guess I just, I guess I just follow it way Pretty too close, much. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. but all right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, fourthand24.com, on Thursday. Let's now. Move off the predictions and move on to our weekly look at college football. Patrick, let's start with the best games of Week 12. Well, I picked four of them. There were really a lot of close games, so I had to slide some into other categories. I'll start with uh, Alabama beating Arkansas 42-35. to uh, Great quarterback play from both sides in this game. Some great defense played by both sides. And uh, a fake field goal with a jump pass from the holder 
which was also pretty interesting that happened in this game, but that's actually how Arkansas got the game from 42-28 to 42-35. They completely fooled Alabama. Uh, caught them slipping on special teams, which is not something that you see too often. And Nick Saban didn't even have somebody to scream at because the only guy who made a mistake on the play was the ref getting in the way of the corner who was trying to chase down the guy who made the catch, which is, uh, I mean, I guess he could scream at the refs if he wants to, but technically they're just doing their job too, and they can't predict a fake field goal, but... You know, Alabama played closer than I thought, and I think uh, you see that reflected in the AP poll with Ohio State being ranked ahead of Alabama now, and I think uh, we'll get into this later, but I think that's justified. Uh, Moving on from that, a team that probably should slide down in the rankings even though they won, uh, another team actually, UTSA won 34-31 over UAB at home. Not a good look at all. I mean, look, I think we all know that uh, a team that's undefeated. There are three unbeatens, and one of them is ranked 22nd by the playoff. I think that shows you what 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 UTSA is up to. They're not exactly playing the hardest schedule, uh, and I don't think the playoff committee is caught off guard by it whatsoever, and that's why they're ranked so low. But at the same time, uh, they're still undefeated. They deserve some credit for it. We have them ranked way higher because we're not all about the schedule as much. I think I think winning games is is harder than playing a good schedule, to be quite honest. So. Uh, I, I think that they deserve some credit for winning their games, although this week I, I, I'm definitely moving them down because of that. That was not that, That's not a good showing, and I mean, they only won off of a miraculously caught tipped pass on a third and goal uh, with six seconds left in the game. So they barely won this game, probably shouldn't have, uh, and if they lost, they'd be out of every single person's rankings. I don't see a single person ranking them after that, but moving on from that, Oklahoma found another way to leave another game close. They won 28-21 against Iowa State. Really, Iowa State was losing by a lot. I mean, this is one of those games where it's possible that it it could be looked at as a lot of garbage time touchdowns, but Iowa State did have an opportunity. They were on the 30-yard line with 30 seconds left with a chance to to tie and even take the lead if they went for two. So uh, it feels like one of those games where they didn't really have a chance, but at the same time, they made it close enough that it's worth mentioning um, but really, I don't think Oklahoma was sweating it as much as Alabama was this weekend, but still a pretty close game there. And finally, Wisconsin-Nebraska, pretty much the same situation as Oklahoma-Iowa State. Wisconsin won 35-28, to 20, or, yeah, 35 to 28. and on the last play of the game, Nebraska threw up a pass on 4th and 20 from the 25 and didn't get it complete, which is pretty much almost the same situation as Iowa State. Uh, in Oklahoma, but I think this Nebraska-Wisconsin one was really back-to-back for a while, and it was only one turnover that really swung the game in Wisconsin's favor and gave them the lead. They scored, they scored a touchdown off that turnover, and that's really what gave them that gave them their final score, and that won them the game. So probably a little bit different than Oklahoma. Wasn't really Iowa State just fending, uh, kind of fighting their way back into the game after being down for a while. But a lot of good games this weekend. Yeah. Well, speaking of a couple uh, games that maybe weren't so good. Uh, but uh, biggest upsets for the weekend? Well, the first one was somewhat good. Uh, Clemson against Wake Forest was 48-27 to in Clemson's favor. Scoreline makes it look a lot worse than it did. I think Wake Forest played two quarters where they played Clemson pretty much even uh, in the second and third quarter. Well, at least the beginning of the third quarter. Um, but the first quarter was almost non-existent. It's like they barely showed up. It's like they barely had gotten off the bus. It was too early in the morning for them to be playing or something like that, but they just did not play well uh, in the first quarter. And then in actually in the third, sorry, the second and the fourth quarters, they showed up, but the third quarter, they got, I mean, they got outscored 10 to nothing in the first and they got outscored 21 to three in the third, which just, 
I mean, you got to put together a full game to win on the road, uh, especially against capable teams. Clemson is not Clemson. I think we all know that. This team is nowhere near as good as any Clemson team in the past, um, but they still do have that brand with them, and they have the same coaching staff. A lot of talent. Frankly, they haven't lost as much from a coaching staff that's been to the playoffs so much as you would expect them to. They've had the same offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator for a few years, um, but and they somehow haven't been picked apart like Alabama's staff has, but... Uh, this is still, I think it was expected. I mean, they were favored in Vegas, so it's not that big of an upset. But at the same time, if you're a top 10 team who has one loss on the year where you blew a 25-point lead, losing to an unranked team on the road is still is still an upset. So had to count it there. And then also Utah was favored. Uh, they won 38-7. to I think this was somehow a predictable upset because Utah should be ranked higher. The only reason they're not is because they started the season 1-2. and two. They changed quarterbacks. I think that's something that people are really underestimating about the Utah team that when when a lot of people are saying, oh my God, Oregon's so bad for this loss, they're really playing a six and a six or seven and one team. They're not actually playing a seven and three team going into this game, to be quite honest, because as soon as Cam Rising took over for Utah, they've just been on a different trajectory the whole season. Uh, and I think this proves that. And also they had two players who died, and that was something I think they've rallied around that. And, I mean, they retired their numbers in the middle of the year. They said every day they're trying to get 22% better, as that the, that was the number that they shared. I'm not going to get into the whole story because it's a very long story, but definitely read about it somewhere if you can find it. Um, but they're playing, they're playing with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder. They're playing with something to prove. Uh, they're playing like the same Utah teams in the past have, they just didn't have the record and the and the uh, the ranking coming into it, but I, I still think that Oregon got or Oregon was dealing with a lot of leftover credit from the beginning of the season, and I think everybody who's watched Ohio State knows that if that team went out and played Oregon tomorrow, Oregon would lose by fifty. I, I know that they I know that they beat them on the road in the first place, but. Oregon would not beat Ohio State if they played any day of the week this week. It's not. It wouldn't happen. Ohio State has gotten much, 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 much better, especially on defense. And their offense wasn't really... Their offense was okay back then. Well, okay by their standards, good by any other team's standards. It was probably a top 20 offense. But it's become the best offense in college football over the course of the season. So it's just not the same team. That win, I mean, again, Oregon deserves credit for that win. But they definitely don't... They definitely don't have the actual achievement of beating full-strength Ohio State, in my opinion. Um, and that's really what caught up to them this week is that, and by the way, they lost to Stanford. Stanford is not good either. So it's clear that this team has had weaknesses and they were just exploited this week by Utah. Uh, Oregon could not complete a third down and Utah seemed to get every single one. I mean, they were getting third They were getting third and sixes by running the ball. They were getting third and nines running the ball. The first score of the game was a third and nine run from the 10-yard line. So that was kind of the setup of what was going to happen. And that student section and that crowd was just so loud. Oregon just looked flustered, like very, 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 very unable to control the environment that they were playing in. So unlike they were over earlier in the season against Ohio State, but that's why they lost that game. Okay, well, yep, those two upsets, uh, lower-ranked teams or unranked teams beating higher-ranked teams, although they teams were both favored in those games, but the margin of victory is certainly much bigger than everybody thought. 
All right, let's move on to your most impressive teams of the week. Well, Oklahoma State did something that you almost never see. It's like a miracle, a Big 12 team pulling a shutout on a team. Not only is it, it's not like we're talking about Kansas here. I was going to say, unless you're playing Kansas. Texas Tech is a bowl-eligible team. They will be in a bowl game this year. Granted, they fired their coach in the middle of the year, but Oklahoma State beat them 23 to nothing. I just think it's impressive because a lot of teams can look ahead to the to the rivalry game the week after, uh, and we're going to talk about that with the next two teams also, um, but... They did not look ahead at all, it seems. I mean, they, they didn't miss a beat in this game. They they had, they were on top of everything. You could nitpick and say that their offense could have been a little bit better, but I, I think generally, if you're gonna put if you're gonna put up a shutout, I, I don't really care what your offense does. If they get you 21, 24, something like that, which they got them 23, that's enough. When you know your defense is playing so well, it's almost like you kind of get lulled to sleep by how well your defense is playing that maybe you just feel a little bit more secure in the game, and maybe if it was a closer game, they'd be putting up more points probably going a little bit conservative by the end of the game. Uh, but yeah, Oklahoma State really impressive for really that defense too because that's a good sign going into Oklahoma where Oklahoma only just scored 28 on Iowa State who's not had a great defense all year. Uh, Oklahoma State could really hold that team to a few points. It's really That game might come, back, come down to what defense can get off the field more uh, in key situations, who can force more field goals. So we'll see what happens in that game. And speaking of rivalry games, uh, Ohio State beat Michigan State 56-7. to You're impressive if you beat a top-10 team by, by 50. I think that's pretty safe to say. C.J. Stroud tied passing rec- passing touchdown records in Ohio State history, uh, although I say history even though all of the records were in the last five years, uh, but <laughs> you could call it history if you want to, uh, with six touchdowns and only three incompletions to six touchdowns. I said it a few podcasts ago that based off of what Purdue did to Michigan State's defense, and even Michigan with Cade McNamara, who at the time wasn't really... I think Michigan fans were still thinking that they were going to be a run-first team for sure, and that the passing game was more of a kind of like a Tennessee Titans style, where if the run game doesn't work, the pass game is going to be terrible. Uh, And Michigan threw all over Michigan State easily. And then Purdue did it and won the game. Uh, Then you knew number one offense, which is mainly controlled by passing... That game was not going to be good for Michigan State. Uh, that I mean, I think anybody could have predicted it. I said they were going to throw for 700 yards. They would have if they left Shroud in the whole game. because they backups basically the entire second half. Yeah, I, no, not basically. The entire second half. He, had, they, he was not in for a single drive. He threw for 432 yards and six touchdowns with 32 completions on 35 attempts in a half. So if they had played the whole game, he would have thrown for 900 yards, uh, which is even more than my 700 prediction. Yeah. Um, but... Look, Ohio State just played really well, and the other thing that I I would like to say is Michigan State just decided for some reason that six carries for 25 yards wasn't enough, even though I think... For Kenneth Walker. If you wanted to get make this game respectable, you're not going to win the game. You already knew you weren't going to win the game when you were losing 21 to nothing in the first quarter. In my opinion, just start running the ball and at least get a few points out of it, but they decided to go away from their... Heisman runner-up in Vegas, or Heisman third-place uh, favorite, uh, and they just literally stopped yeah, running the ball. Like they threw on 13 of their first 17 plays. Somebody said Kenneth Walker was dinged up, whether it happened in the game or prior to the yeah. game. That could have yeah. been part of the reason. I but uh, I just think in general that he's got a... I mean, a lot of backs have powered through that kind of stuff, too, and I'm not saying it's his fault at all, but I think they could have at least tried it out a little bit more because six carries for 25 yards isn't actually that terrible. 
I mean, you add a big, you add one big run to that. All of a sudden, you're looking well, that's at what he was doing this year. And you add one big run of that. All of a sudden, you're looking at a five, six yards per carry average. And I think Ohio State's run defense was really good. And the other thing that they were doing is their corners are good enough against Michigan State that they can stack the box and easily cover their passing game. They were not worried about it. Peyton Thorne didn't make enough throws, and that really was Michigan State's downfall. So before we move on to the next game, somebody pointed out the example of how dominant this was. They showed the Georgia-Charleston-Southern halftime score was 49 nothing, And then Ohio State was up on Michigan State, 49 to nothing. Gives you some context for how dominant this was. All right, let's move on to your other impressive teams. Uh, I'll go with Michigan, who also didn't overlook the team that they played uh, right before. And actually, ironically enough, even though Michigan was only playing Maryland, Michigan actually had Michigan actually had a shorter line on their game than uh, than Ohio State did, only favored by I think fourteen or fifteen, and Ohio State favored by twenty uh, or eighteen, depending on where you were looking, something like that Somewhere in that, in that range. Nineteen, yeah, in that range. But uh, Michigan, I mean. There was a stretch in this game where Michigan scored four touchdowns or three touchdowns in four minutes but with every single type of touchdown scored. They scored a they scored an offensive touchdown, a defensive touchdown, and a special teams touchdown. Uh, the one thing that I can say was not impressive about Michigan was their inability to lock up trick plays for the Ohio State game because they did decide to do a uh, on Maryland's pooch kick they decided to throw across the field uh, and run that little special teams trick. However, I don't. I haven't seen Ohio State, Ohio State pooch, kick pooch kick ever. Maryland so I think Ohio it was State probably doesn't. a Maryland a Maryland specific thing that maybe the coaches were thinking um, if the game was close they were going to pull it out, and then all of a sudden they were like, well, now that the game's out of reach, we might as well do it anyway just for fun. Uh, but yeah, a pick six, a, ret- a kick return touchdown, and then also a 77-yard running back uh, reception touchdown. So, I mean, Michigan was just crazy in this game. and The defense played pretty well also outside of a few drives that were, frankly, aided a lot by penalties, too. Um, and then finally, moving on for Michigan, uh, Pitt locked up the their division of the ACC by beating Virginia uh, 48-38. to Kenny Pickett was really, 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 really good. Um, he should be a Heisman candidate, frankly. I don't know why he isn't uh, somewhere up there in the favorites. He should be ahead of some of those guys. He should at least be in New York. But uh, a great game from Pitt and really locking up something that they haven't really gotten very close to in a while ever since they got blown out by Clemson the last time they were in the ACC championship game. All right, so while we're on this most impressive category, we'll uh, we'll get away from, from game results, get back to it. But most impressive players, we've talked about the most impressive teams. Well, I'll start with C.J. Stroud, obviously. I did list his stats earlier, but just to reiterate, 32 of 35, 432 yards, six touchdowns. If you double the amount of incompletions with touchdowns, you had a good game. Uh, And this was, and and especially if you're going to throw 35 times, that's insane. In one half. Yes, also basically in one half, yeah. Uh, And then also, everybody thought that C.J. Stroud had his Heisman moment, but Bryce Young later in the day was 31 of 40, with 559 yards and five touchdowns. And they needed it. The second most passing yards in SEC history. That's also a Heisman moment. Joe Burrow didn't even set that record. And he ran away with the Heisman a few years ago, as as many fans will remember. So I'm not saying that C.J. Stroud should be behind Bryce Young, but I, I still think there's something that he has left to prove. He can't, he can't just have an okay game against Michigan, an okay game in the Big Ten Championship, and anywhere beyond that they might get to um, and and just call it a day. He's not going to win the Heisman off of that. He has to outperform Bryce Young for the rest of the year. And uh, 
I mean, I think there's really going to be... I think they really have a lot of tests for both of them, though, laid out in front of them, because in all likelihood, the way the way the season is trending right now, both of them are going to have to play probably the best defense of all time, or maybe not the best defense of all time, but the best one we've seen in recent memory easily. Uh, Alabama has to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. That's already pretty much confirmed. Um, and then... If Ohio State makes it to the playoff, which we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, they still have Michigan in their way. They still have a Big Ten championship game in their way. Uh, and frankly, they'd have to win a playoff game before getting to Georgia, but based on how their schedule would turn out. But uh, they would also probably have to play Georgia, and we'd have to see how that turns out. I think that will probably decide the Heisman. Who can well, actually beat Georgia? Except except that game will be played after the Heisman's award. Heisman's awarded after the end oh, yeah, of the year. So true. they both have a rivalry, rivalry game and then a conference championship game, assuming... Both win the rivalry, which so. probably which probably favors C.J. Stroud a lot because he won't have to play Georgia before. That will be Bryce Young will have to play Georgia. His stats will take a huge downturn when Georgia probably holds them to fourteen points. Yeah. Um, and then C.J. Stroud. That defense that'll be a big if he can game overcome game. that defense. That is the that he will win the Heisman and he in will my deserve opinion, it. and he will deserve it. Yeah, exactly. All but right, I well, think that I think that overall, though, if you're looking at it that way. I think there's a higher chance that he'll have... I mean, I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I think there's a higher chance he has an okay game than he has a Heisman moment game against Georgia. Just, I think that's my opinion on that. All right, well, let's move to the uh, best road win of the week. Well, I went with Baylor over Kansas State. Uh, number 11, Baylor beating Kansas State 20-10. to 10. Not really much to say about this game. It wasn't really too interesting, but uh, a good game that Baylor played, and uh, they did well to get a tough win on the road in a game that was... Pretty much, uh, pretty much supposed to be even coming into it. So yeah, Dave Aranda doing a great job there. Baylor may be looking for uh, another head coach again as their head coaching hire gets hired away at the end of the year. We'll we'll see what happens there. Probably talk about that coach, coaching carousel in a subsequent podcast. Yeah, that will be that will be a few podcasts from now. Probably although, the whole season. Although any overall takeaways from college football week eleven? Maybe one that uh, we that uh, week twelve actually. That uh, relates to the coaching carousel. Well, this won't be related to the coaching carousel because he signed an extension. Exactly. But I don't know why Nebraska has continued with the Scott Frost experiment. Um, I think it should have ended a long time ago. I think they're they're kind of operating on this fallacy. Really, I think they think that it's a true thing, but they're drinking the Kool Aid of Scott Frost a little bit too much. They believe that since they've been so close, they've been in so many one score games, they've been in. 24 of them in four years that eventually he'll find a way to win some of those games. He just got to get the talent. He's just got to, he's just got to piece it together a little bit and they'll start winning those games and then they'll start being really good. But the fact of the matter is they've been in a lot of one score games. And the one thing they haven't done in those games is win. They are five and 19 in one score, in one score games under Scott Frost, which is the worst record in all of FBS in the last four years. Everybody's saying they're the best three and seven team in America now. Three and eight. They're the best three and eight team in America. Is the best three and eight team in America deserving of an extension for their coach? I don't think so. I don't think best three and eight team is something you want to aspire to. When you have the all-time records and everything that Nebraska has, if three and eight is something you aspire to, just being close, but being being close in every game, but being three and eight, you'll never restore your program back to where it needs to be. I think. USC has been super impatient, and so has Florida, and so has Texas, but at least they're trying. Uh, just say, staying with the coach that's 5-19 and 19 in one-score games and hasn't made a bowl game in, what, three or four years at this point? It's just not enough. And, and by the way, if you're operating on the fact that he'll win a close game eventually, he needs to actually do it. 
and he hasn't done it. So yeah, it's think, just not enough. I think their athletic director saw what Michigan did with Jim Harbaugh, where he re- restructured his contract and all this stuff, but a little bit of a difference. Harbaugh now has four 10-win seasons, and he restructured his, his contract after a COVID year, his only losing season. So a little bit of a different thing. Yeah, yeah Nebraska's, had many, Nebraska's had many losing seasons, and Harbaugh has a lot of... Uh, has a lot of things in, in, in ranked games, but if you actually look at his close games record, because Ohio State blows out Michigan a lot, it's actually not as bad as you'd think it is. Uh, I, then again, with everything that's going on, it may have been a wise decision for Nebraska because really, with all the other openings, who are they going to get? So uh, I, maybe they're just biding their time and hope, you know, a one-year deal. On on the contrary of that, though, I think they could have done it. I don't think, I don't think this was a this-season-only problem. I think they could have done this in the past, too, so... Uh, I think they could have found other coaches before. But. And then there's the opinion that maybe they actually realize who they are and that they will never be who they were before college football has evolved and changed. And uh, that, that's actually a former college football player said that to me. Nebraska's reality is they get the best they can hope for is like 8-4 and four in a given year will be a great year. That's possible too. All right. Well, so uh, let's uh, let's move on to the college football playoff. Your thoughts on well, how those rankings are going to shape up this week. I think there's now five teams, and then there's a very, very, very big line separating everybody else after that. I think the five teams are Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, in that order. Uh, I think, obviously, the teams slide ahead of Michigan State after that loss. I think that I think that the playoff committee finally decides that since they're going to have to move Ohio State up anyway, they'll move them ahead of Alabama. They have a good excuse because Alabama played a close game against an inferior team compared to Michigan State, at least according to their rankings, um, whereas Ohio State won by 50 against a top-10 team. I don't really see any rhyme or reason to them not saying Ohio State is better than Alabama. And if they don't, be prepared for two teams in the playoff because that is literally two, all SEC, the, teams. two SEC teams in the playoff because that is all they would be preparing for at that point. They're, they would just be holding the line on that to make sure that happens. Um, and apparently, I guess that's a very anti-Cincinnati plan, but that might be their plan in the end. Um, Cincinnati, they finally blew out a team, and frankly, it was the best team that they've played all year, and they killed them. I, I think they finally realized that, I think even, you, you can be told as many times as you want to not get complacent and to beat a bad team by a lot, but it's still going to creep into your head of who you're playing and how much better you know you are than them. SMU was finally a team that Cincinnati could take seriously. I think it's the first team they took seriously probably since UCF. And I don't think it's a coincidence that their two biggest margins of victory this year in conference play are the two best teams that they play, UCF and SMU. I don't think that's I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Um, and then moving on from that, Michigan played a good game against Maryland and naturally moves up because of the Michigan State loss. And uh, they just move up. And, and the Oregon loss, too. They move up ahead of them. And then I think after that, I think you have the teams who need help, but actually have a better chance than we think to get in. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Baylor, Oklahoma. The one thing for a lot of those teams, every single team in the Big 12 can win their conference championship, which is a big advantage. Uh, and they will beat one of those other two teams in the process. If you're Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, you'll beat two of them at least uh, if you're going to go undefeated or, or if you're going to go undefeated for the rest of the year. Ole Miss can't be in a conference championship game. So that's something that they have against them. Notre Dame can't be because they're not in a conference. Um, and the other thing that Notre Dame has running against them is that if Cincinnati's undefeated, Cincinnati will be undefeated. Notre Dame will have one loss. Their one loss is to Cincinnati. So they have no chance of getting in if Cincinnati doesn't lose a game. I think that's fair to say. However, when you actually look at it, 
if Alabama somehow slides out of the playoff picture and Ohio State beats Michigan, you're looking at Georgia, Ohio State, and Cincinnati. There does need to be a fourth team to fill the void. And the question is, do they go with a 10-2 and Alabama team, a two-loss, maybe one-loss, we'll have to see, Big 12 champion, or do they go with Notre Dame? I think they would probably abandon the Notre Dame experiment after what happened last year in the playoff, to be quite honest. I think they'd much rather put a Big 12 team in there or even leave Alabama in, which is the situation that everybody hates, but that's probably the most likely. But they do have to find a fourth team to put in there, and they've never put a two-loss team in the playoff. So I would not put it past them to leave Alabama or even Michigan, depending on how they look against Ohio State, in there, but it would be very surprising. Uh, And that's how I think it's shaking out right now. Yeah, I think it'll be very telling this week because if they have Alabama... Number two ahead of Ohio State. They're setting up them them losing to Georgia and still making the playoffs. Yes. And Georgia, I think, is basically in the playoff. That's yeah, they what are. We know, no Georgia's what. in the playoff. No matter what. Uh, the only thing that could keep them out of the playoff is losing to Georgia Tech. Right. And I think... Um, I don't have words. They're not going to lose to Georgia yeah. Tech. I, I'm, I'm, I not, I'm not even trying way. to be disrespectful, but Georgia Tech just lost by 55 to Notre Dame and got shut out. They are not beating Georgia. I agree with you, by the way, that uh, I think the only way Notre Dame gets in is if Cincinnati loses. I think they would take a big, they have that criteria, and a conference championship is a criteria, and it's, you haven't seen that criteria reflected in these rankings because nobody's a conference champion yet, and that's what happened several years ago when a team moved up, I think from six to four, and people said, how did they jump? And they said, well, now they're a conference champion. So I think Notre Dame's lurking, but Cincinnati has to lose, like you said, and I do not think that Notre Dame gets in over a Big 12 champion. All right. Let's move on from college football to our weekly review of NFL action. What do you have as the best games of Week 11? I will start with uh, the Ravens against the Bears, winning 16-13. If you wanted a game to tune out for the first half, and, well, really for almost all of the game, uh, this was your game. This game had, had 29 total points scored, and 16 of them were scored in the fourth quarter. Uh, the lack of offense from the Ravens is not surprising. That's why they're not on most disappointing teams, because they were playing with Tyler Huntley, as Lamar Jackson had a non-COVID illness that held him out of the game. And uh, the lack of points from the Bears is somewhat disappointing, but they also had Justin Fields go out in the middle of this game, and actually Andy Dalton scored the two touchdowns, so uh, it's kind of an interesting predicament they have there. But uh, I'm not too surprised by either of these performances, just based on the injuries and kind of the outlook that that game had. But overall, still a good game, a close game. Came down to a lot of plays made at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, and then you got to go to the game of the week for sure with the Vikings beating the Packers 34-31. to This game was back and forth. The Vikings had a crazy drive to take the lead uh, by seven. They took a touchdown lead. Uh, it looked like they were in control of the game because their defense, every, I think everybody thought that their defense might be able to make a stop. And then the Packers scored on the first play of their drive with an 80-yard touchdown to, Mar- to Marquez Valdez-Gantling by Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and then the Packers' defense, which was third in scoring in the league, even though I think we all knew that it really was more of a facade, um, because they didn't have Rashawn Gary, they're a little bit injured, they're banged up right now, they could not get the stop on the Vikings, and uh, the Vikings ran down the clock, got the field goal that they needed, and won the game off of that. And then finally... The Chargers blew a lead, a a huge lead, but in only the way that the Chargers and Steelers could do, the Steelers blew the blowing of the lead, if that makes any sense. I don't think it does, but uh, let's just say both these teams had a battle of who could choke a game harder. Um, I mean, 
this game was summed up by the fact that the Steelers scored 27 points in the fourth quarter and lost, and they also gave up a touchdown on an out route with no one within 20 yards of Mike Williams catching the ball. They had so many mess-ups in this game. Uh, there's a lot of problems with a lot of different positions with the Steelers. The only th- I, I feel like the only guy they can rely on is T.J. Watt. I think other than T.J. Watt, they really, and, and Cam Hayward too, but although he's been uh, taking his anger out and getting some unnecessary roughness penalties too a little bit. Um, but I, I think the Steelers have a lot of problems to figure out, um, and this game was just kind of a microcosm of that, that after everybody's been talking about how bad their offense is, they put up 37 points, and yet they can't hold the lead. They can't hold the, hold the Chargers on defense to actually convert those points into a win. Yeah, I actually turned this game off. I thought it was over. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to the most most disappointing teams. I'll start with the Cowboys because now two of the last three weeks, they've pretty much done nothing on offense. Uh, obviously against the Broncos two or two ga- three games ago at this point. Uh, and then this week against really, I mean... Let's not sugarcoat it. The Chiefs have been playing better on defense, but we've seen it in past years that the Chiefs have not been playing well on defense, and then all of a sudden, they start to play well at the end of the season, but yet still are some... They're still a little bit weak when you look at it by the end of the year, Um, and I just don't think that nine points against the Chiefs, if that's what you're going to do against the Chiefs, I mean, look, the Chiefs have an okay defense. They've been playing better. But even the Chiefs' defense playing its best is not better than half the defenses they'd have to go through uh, in the NFC playoffs. So if that's what you're going to do against the Chiefs, good luck getting through the playoffs, Dallas. So that's that's where I'm standing with uh, with that result there. Uh, it's just disappointing that Dallas's offense has kind of failed so much. But I mean, when you look at it, some of it's from injuries. Amari Cooper wasn't playing, but uh, Dak was still playing in this game. They had C.D. Lamb for half the game, although he went out with a concussion on the last play offensive play of the first half for them. But overall, they had enough, and even Michael Gallup came back from injury, so they frankly, they didn't exactly replace Amari Cooper, but they had a guy back uh, as kind of uh, evening out that, balancing out that uh, deal. So the Cowboys, just very disappointing. Uh, The next team I'd go to, the Titans, uh, I think surrendered the crown of the AFC this week to the Chiefs. I think it's pretty simple. Um, you can't lose to the Texans at home. I don't care what the conditions are. You don't throw four picks against the Texans. They were running the ball okay, actually, but Matt uh, Ryan Tannehill, I almost said Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill just threw a lot of picks, and they just did not play well. I mean, he threw four picks, and that really was their downfall, as, as Matt Vrabel said. 99% of the time, if you have five turnovers and the other team has zero, no matter who you're playing, no matter who the opponent is, no matter what the record is, you're going to lose the game. Uh, and then Probably finally, at every level of football, not just in the NFL. Yeah, and finally, I, this is the only. I think this is the only team I've said in a while that's been disappointing for winning a game. But the Browns beat the Lions by three. Like, if anybody's trying to win the AFC North, you have to beat up on the Lions. It's proven from last week that the Steelers couldn't do it, and now look at their record. Now look at where they are in the AFC playoff standings. The Ravens are about to run away with this division because they can beat the Bears with a backup quarterback, but the Browns and Steelers with starter, well, Steelers with Mason Rudolph, but the Browns can barely beat the Lions, and guess what? The Lions didn't even have Jared Goff playing this week. So At home, they could barely beat them. Yeah, they beat them by three with a, with a backup quarterback playing. I just, you're not good if you're going to do that. It's that simple to me, and I don't think the Browns are making the playoffs. I'll say that right now. All right, well, so who is good? Who are the most impressive teams? 
Okay, well, let's not say who was good because I'm about to talk about the Eagles. But uh, they were impressive <laughs> because this week. I really think they're actually starting to build an identity. They've realized that they need to turn into Army, Air Force, or Navy college offense and just run options. They're not quite running the triple option, but Jalen Hurts and the running backs they have with Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, they have a lot of running back talent and they have enough to run the read option with a very talented quarterback. But Jalen Hurts' arm talent is not good enough to run an offense where it's pass first. He's never going to be a pass first kind of a guy. Uh, kind of similar to a Lamar Jackson, although I'm not comparing her talent levels at all. Lamar is, Lamar is on another level. But uh, they have really found an identity, and their defense is playing well enough. They're creating enough turnovers to win these games pretty easily, and uh, I think they deserve some credit for that. And frankly, if you look at the NFC, they're actually kind of in the playoff picture at this point. But moving on from them, uh, the Colts have now won five of their last six some of those were against weak opponents, but this week against the Bills, uh, it wasn't. I could have put the Bills in most disappointing, but I chose to reward the Colts for sticking with an identity and realizing that they don't need to make Carson Wentz win the games for them. Just let Jonathan Taylor do anything. 32 carries, uh, just let him do it. Uh, and then finally, the Patriots shut out the Falcons, winning 25 to nothing. I think it was the, the, Fal- the first time the Falcons had been shut out at home in like 20 years or something like that. And I mean, it's Bill Belichick. It's just Bill Belichick coaching a defense perfectly and also... Mac Jones has been the exact thing that a Patriots offense needs. He barely turns the ball over. He's not going to throw for a bunch of touchdowns. He's not Tom Brady. I don't think that he's necessarily a Super Bowl winning quarterback just yet, not as a rookie. I wouldn't be surprised to see them. At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised to see them winning or at least in the Super Bowl or even in the AFC Championship game. I wouldn't be surprised at all, seeing as how they've now overtaken the Bills for the division lead there. But, uh... I just think overall this team is just playing at such a high level, and their defense is crazy. So there aren't uh, they could cause a lot of problems for a lot of the AFC teams, especially when you look at the bottom of the uh, the wild card. There are a lot of teams who don't play very good defense, and the Patriots are good enough to beat medium level average defenses, and their defense is definitely good enough to stop the high level ones. So a lot of teams are going to be are, are going to have a tough matchup against New England if they run into them in the playoffs. All right. Well, who are your most impressive players? I spoke about him a little bit, but Jonathan Taylor had 32 carries for 185 yards, four touchdowns, along with uh, three receptions for 19 yards and a touchdown. I almost felt like not including the receptions, but he scored five touchdowns. Um, If you want to translate it into one of my favorite unofficial metrics of how good a player did this week, he had 53 fantasy points in a regular PPR league. And that is one of, he's one of the only players of all time to put up 50. I believe there's been seven since fantasy football actually started to track. And one of them was Jamal Charles's game, which I think is going to go down as the best game in NFL history, uh, where I think he rushed for more than like 250 yards and also had like 50 yards receiving and just went crazy one week. But uh, yeah, the, he was very, very impressive this week. The next one I'm going to go with Justin Herbert, uh, 30 of 41, 382 yards, three touchdowns. That that's that's Justin Herbert when he's on his game. But nine carries for 90 yards is something that I did not see him doing. I mean, that's something that really I wouldn't say came out of nowhere, but he's not necessarily the most gifted runner. So it's not like it was just a few runs sprinkled in here and there. The nine runs he had were all really good runs and they were all pretty strong. So I want to give him credit for that. And if he can continue to do that, it makes them even harder to defend because you're going to have to really keep your contain on the defensive end on the line. And then finally, Justin Jefferson, eight receptions, 169 yards, two touchdowns. The Packers played too much off coverage. They got torched by him. Uh, 
pretty much the Chargers had the same situation with them last week, and they just got lucky that they didn't throw it to him even more, but they also lost. Um, but look, Justin Jefferson has been on fire the last few weeks, and uh, I don't know if that's going to, and, and I don't know if that's going to stop. Yeah, playing for the Vikings. Um, all right, any overall takeaways from across NFL Week 11? Well, I think it's time to start talking about the playoff picture. Uh, currently, you have seeds one through three, Tennessee, Baltimore, and New England. Tennessee's eight and three, Baltimore seven and three, New England is seven and four, and they're tied with the Chiefs uh, at seven and four also. Those are your division leaders right in now a- in the AFC. In the AFC. Uh, Cincinnati is fifth uh, with a six and four record. The Chargers are tied for fifth, but technically sixth if you look at tiebreakers. Uh, with six and with a six and four record, and the Buffalo Bills are also six and four, uh, seventh though in that in that um, playoff picture. But uh, I think it's really really interesting. You also see teams like Cleveland at six and five under. I said they're not making the playoffs, but because I actually think that the seven that are in right now could very well be the seven that make it. I think the one substitution I would make, and I think will happen, is taking Cincinnati out and putting Indianapolis in. I think. I think everybody knows that Indianapolis has five losses, but one of them is from the last six weeks. So that's not. I mean, they're a much better team than a six and five team. A lot of te- a lot of people can say they're really more of a five and one team than they are a six and five team. And if that's what they're going to do for the rest of the season, good luck. Uh, they're going to catch Cincinnati, who's going to be playing tough games against teams like Baltimore, teams like Cleveland, teams like Pittsburgh. I believe Cincinnati's played two divisional games so far this year, so they have four more games against playoff teams in the rest of the year. That's going to be really, really tough um, for them. So, And they're also a young team, so I, I'm going to go ahead and say that Indianapolis will jump them. But other than that, I think the playoff picture is pretty much set there. Um, and then the NFC, you have Arizona at 9-2, and two, Green Bay at 8-3, and three, Dallas at 7-3, and three, uh, Tampa Bay at 6-3. and three. L.A., because they're not a division winner, is still behind Tampa Bay. Actually, Tampa Bay is 7-3 now that I think about it because they won today. Um, but L.A. 7-3, even with a win over Tampa Bay, they're still not ahead of them because of the fact that, they didn't, that they're not a division winner right now. Then you have Minnesota at 5-5, five five, New Orleans at 5-5, five five, San Francisco at 5-5, five and, five, and then you have the Eagles in Carolina at 5-6, Washington and Atlanta at 4-6, and, and then the Giants, and I mean, everybody else is 3-7, and seven, the Giants, Chicago, uh, and Seattle, but... There's an interesting playoff picture here. I could actually see, if I'm going to pick one team from outside that could get in, I might have to go with the 49ers leaping over the Saints. I think that's probably the most likely, just because Trevor Simeon is not exactly a playoff-level quarterback, uh, and frankly, Jimmy Garoppolo is not necessarily that great either, but he did get to them, he did get them to the Super Bowl that one time, and they have a win over the Rams, and New Orleans has their win over the Buccaneers already, but I actually think that when the Buccaneers play the Saints again, the Buccaneers are going to win the game. I'm not so sure San Francisco can't sweep the rest of their games in the in the NFC West. I would not be surprised to see it happen. They are playing better. They did lose to Colt McCoy, though, so maybe they won't beat Arizona. But I, I, can't, I can't see, honestly, with Atlanta playing okay and Carolina playing okay and both of them fighting for their playoff lives. When New Orleans goes on the road to those two teams, I don't see them winning those games. So... Uh, that that's my take on the NFC playoff picture right now. All right, well, that completes our look at the NFL uh, for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, November 26th. And on that podcast, we will focus on basketball with our weekly analysis of NBA and NCAA action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, the 12th installment of our college football top 25 poll, which will be published on Tuesday. 
Patrick's second in-season NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday. All of that is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.